The sermon from St. John's Evangelical Lutheran Church of Hancock, Minnesota, a member of the Wells, preached on July 24, 2011, the first in a series of sermons on the four Gospels, this sermon on Matthew. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear friends in Christ, fellow saints, wash clean in the blood of our risen Savior. I looked, and I saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning and surrounded by brilliant light. The center of the fire looked like glowing metal, and in the fire was what looked like four living creatures. In appearance, their form was that of a man, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Their faces looked like this. Each of the four had the face of a man, and on the right side each had the face of a lion, and on the left the face of an ox. Each also had the face of an eagle. This is how the glory of the Lord appeared to the prophet Ezekiel as he lived along the Kibar River with the exiles from Jerusalem during the time of Nebuchadnezzar. Later on, we are told that these living creatures with the four faces were cherubim, a special kind of angel. And in this vision here, they may help bring home how God rules over all of creation. But during the Middle Ages, the church took these four images that were each one of the faces, the man, the lion, the ox, and the eagle, and used them as symbols for the four books of the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And that symbolism is still at times used today. For example, you will see it down at the chapel at Martin Luther College, our worker training school in New Ulm. And in the weeks ahead, you'll see them and the banners, the new banners going up behind the organ. Today, we we look at the first one, the image of a man, reminding us of the Gospel of Matthew. And the wings there are, are not to say that this person is an angel. It's a man, like it says here that... that um, face was that of a man, the wings remind us that this is talking about that image from Ezekiel here. But before we get into the Gospel of Matthew in particular, we need to keep in mind that although we'll be looking at four different images in the weeks ahead and talking about the four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there is only one gospel. Just as all four faces were on each one of the cherubim, so also all four of those books which we call the gospels proclaim one and the same gospel. Now, what is that gospel? It's the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ, the promised Redeemer, The good news that he is our divine Savior from sin and death. The good news that he is our God, the eternal Son of the Father, who became flesh and blood to take our place under the law, the law which we have broken. 
the good news that he kept that law perfectly for you so that his righteousness counts as yours. The good news that he sacrificed himself on the cross so that his holy, precious blood and innocent suffering and death redeems you. The good news that he rose from the dead in glory on the third day because God has justified all sinners through his blood so that eternal life is yours through faith in Jesus alone. And this good news, this gospel, proclaims that Jesus did all this for you as a free gift given to the undeserving by God's grace alone with no strings attached at all. And this good news calls forth faith from our hearts to believe that forgiveness and eternal life are freely ours because of what Jesus has done for us. What good news the gospel proclaims. The one true, authentic gospel. And so even though we have four writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have one gospel that proclaims the same Jesus and the same way of salvation, the only way of salvation. So each one of these writers, after a brief introduction, recounts some of the events from the three years or so of Jesus' earthly ministry, beginning with his baptism by John. They record some of his sermons, parables, miracles, discussions. They show how the opposition against Jesus increases. The intensity builds as Jesus rides into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And then Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John reach their climax as they tell us of the events of that last Passover and first Lord's Supper. As they tell us what Jesus said to his disciples on that night and then lead us to Gethsemane. As they show us Jesus arrested and condemned. As they show us Jesus crucified and dead. The Savior, our Savior, died for you and for me. And then, and then they proclaim the glorious resurrection of our Savior, that he came back to life, rose from the dead, and was witnessed by many. He is our living Savior, for he is the resurrection and the life. And it should not surprise us that even though four different men, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, wrote these four accounts, that they are in perfect harmony with each other. For even though we have four human writers, there is only one author, the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself promised that to his disciples when he said to them, the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have said to you. John 14 and a little later, Jesus told them, when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. And that is why Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in no way contradict each other. And that is why you and I can be sure that even though they wrote several years after these events, that what they wrote accurately records what did happen. For the Holy Spirit himself gives them the thoughts and the words to write. And so we need to always keep this clear in today and in the weeks ahead as we talk about the four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
We need to always keep clear that there is one gospel that reveals the true Jesus and the only way of salvation, namely only through faith in Jesus Christ. For there is one author, the Holy Spirit, who reveals God's truth through this word, and through this word brings the truth into our hearts so that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and through faith in him have eternal life in his name. That is the one purpose that each of these four books has. Now, even though there is one gospel, and each of the four books proclaims that same gospel, the Holy Spirit used each one of these individuals according to their different gifts and abilities, according to their varied backgrounds and experiences. And so we see that there is a special emphasis in each one of these books that we call the Gospels. We see that each of the authors, or each of the writers, I should say, has a particular audience in mind to whom he wants to bring home the truth of the Gospel, and so he picks his material accordingly. And yet even here, the Holy Spirit guides the whole thing so that all of what they write is the truth. And that's where these four images drawn from Ezekiel will help us see how each of the Gospels has its unique flavor, you might say. It has its own character and style. It has its particular differences with the other Gospels that don't contradict them, but are complementary. And that's what we want to use those four images for, to help us understand and appreciate that, even as we see that each one proclaims the same Jesus, the same Gospel. And today, we look at the first one, the image of the man that brings to mind the Gospel according to St. Matthew. The image of the man reminds us that Jesus is true man. He is fully human. And the Gospel of Matthew begins by tracing Jesus' human ancestry from Abraham to David down to Joseph, Jesus' legal father. And yet even as Matthew does that, he clearly shows that Joseph is not the biological father of Jesus, for although Jesus is fully human, he is also fully God. He is true God, born of the Virgin, as Matthew brings out when he recounts how the angel made that nighttime visit to Joseph after his fiancée Mary was found to be pregnant. Now Matthew has good reason to begin with the legal ancestry of Jesus. For you see, he is writing to his fellow Jews, He wants them to clearly see that Jesus is the Messiah. That he, Jesus, is the one that their own scriptures had foretold. The one that they had been longing for, waiting for, the Messiah. He is the offspring the Lord had sworn to Abraham and to David to give to them. See why he has that ancestry then from Abraham to David to Joseph? And so as you see that image of the man, remember the human ancestry of Jesus. That the man, Jesus Christ, is the promised Messiah who Moses and the prophets foretold. Now even if Matthew, first of all, had his fellow Jews in mind as he wrote, the words the Holy Spirit gave him here 
also touch our hearts, don't they? For like the Jews of old, we too hold the Old Testament in high regard as the word of our God. And more so than the other three writers, Matthew brings out how Jesus again and again fulfills the Old Testament prophecies. Matthew again and again takes us back to the Old Testament and quotes it to show that, yes, Jesus is the Messiah who came just as the prophets had foretold. And how that confirms and strengthens our faith as well. For example, Matthew clearly shows how Jesus' birth fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah. And the virgin will be with child and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Matthew 1. Matthew also shows that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, just as the prophet Micah had foretold. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come one who will be the ruler of my people Israel, the shepherd of my people. Matthew chapter 2. Much of Jesus' ministry he carries out in the area of Galilee, far from the religious and political center of Jerusalem. But this, too, was part of what the prophets had foretold. Isaiah writes, Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, the way of the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. That's recorded in Matthew 4. And the miracles of healing and driving out the evil spirits, those too are recorded to show that Jesus was fulfilling the prophecies of old that said that he would take up our infirmities and carry our sorrows. Matthew chapter 8. So that's why when Matthew tells us how John the Baptist, who is now in prison, sends his disciples to ask if Jesus is that one, that one that, they, that was coming that they had been waiting for. Jesus can simply tell them, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the, those with leprosy are healed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. That's what the Old Testament had prophesied. And so John, even as he sat in Herod's prison, could be sure that Jesus was the Messiah. And so also you and I can be sure. Believe, dear friends, believe that Jesus is the Messiah long foretold. He is the seed of the woman who came to crush Satan's head and reconcile us to God. Yes, the, the man who was born a Jew, Jesus Christ, is the divine Messiah. Now, Matthew also wanted to make clear to his fellow Jews that although Jesus was born a Jew and was the Messiah that had been promised to Abraham's descendants, nevertheless, he was the Savior, not only for the Jews, but for the Gentiles as well. And that's why already in Matthew chapter 2, Matthew talks about the first Gentiles who came to worship Jesus. He is the only one of the gospel writers to record this. How the non-Jewish Magi, the wise men, followed the star and worshipped the Christ child. For he was the Savior, not only for the Jews, 
but for all sinners. And Matthew closes his gospel with that same note. As he has Jesus' words sending out his disciples, not only to the Jews, but into all the world. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to keep all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. What great good news for you and me. Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, is our Savior. And finally, Matthew's style, you might say his, his characteristic, also very bluntly puts it on the line for his Jewish readers and for you and me. Either you are following Jesus or you are not. His Jews who fellow Jews could not think that they could compromise their faith to avoid persecution or ridicule from their fellow Jews who didn't believe in Jesus, just as we cannot compromise our faith with this world. And so Matthew puts it very bluntly and puts it very clearly that there is no in-between. Either you are following Jesus or you are not. There is no fence-sitting. You either have your faith and hope in Jesus or, or you don't. There is no hedging your bet. For example, in Matthew 6, Jesus says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. In Matthew 7, it makes it very clear that there is only one narrow gate, one narrow way. We are either wise builders or Foolish ones who build on sand and fall with a great crash. There is no in-between. Whoever is not with me is against me, Jesus says in Matthew 12. Or just think of the gospel for today. How Jesus again makes it very clear. We either are following him or we are not. And so, dear friends, through these words that Matthew records, hear the Holy Spirit calling out to you. Come, follow Jesus, for he is your Messiah. Follow him with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Follow Jesus, the one and only Messiah, your Savior. Follow him with total commitment. Amen. Please stand. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding... So keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.